Welcome to Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggies, and sometimes in-between paths to success. Today's guest has had a varied and exciting career. She started as a lawyer, moved into entrepreneurship, then to be a marketing executive, and ultimately president and CEO. Strategic and not one to take no for an answer, when she's looking for a yes, she's always been strategically disruptive and a force to be reckoned with throughout her journey. She's a transformative leader, challenger of conventional ideas, and inspires novel approaches. As a lawyer, she specialized in employment, education, and insurance coverage. It was during her time at Affleck Insurance that she dug into the inner workings of running a Fortune 150 insurance company, first as a lawyer, and then by moving into the business to lead the B&B marketing team. After that, she took on the challenge of serving as the first female president of Atlanta Life Insurance Company, a well-known brand with a clear purpose and legacy of helping underserved communities find pathways to financial protection and ultimately generational wealth, something that has always been important to my guest. She continues to be bold in the insurance industry at the helm of What If Collective, imagining that insurance is less about risk and loss and more about growth and legacy, which is a novel and much needed approach, I have to say. A mother of two fierce and bold daughters, could they be anything else with mom like her? She is. Uh, she and her partner split their time between Atlanta and New Orleans. She loves adventures that take her to new places and introduces her to new people and their stories. I am thrilled to have her as a guest. Welcome, Lucretia Cade. Thank you, Kathy. I am so happy to have you on my show. I gave the audience a highlight reel. So tell us more about what you do as you're approaching the first anniversary of founding the What If Collective. Yeah. So, you know, we are, it's really kind of a collection of everything that I've been doing throughout my career, bringing together my, I've always kind of been an insurance nerd. Um, I like to say I was a person as a lawyer who loves sitting down and reading an insurance policy at night, which is a little weird. Um, but it was sort of like a puzzle to me because typically insurance policies are written, oh, we cover all these things. And then there's all these pieces that they take out on the back end. And so you have to make sure you're piecing the puzzle together. And so I've always enjoyed that. And so um, bringing that together with empowering underrepresented communities, I had the chance to work at um, a historically Black college and university and really have always been looking for career paths where I could bring together kind of my academic and my cerebral pursuits with kind of my passions and um, the, the components that really matter to kind of impact for me. And so that's what this is. So we're kind of bringing those things together and taking these um, historical ideas and traditional ways of thinking about insurance and breaking them down, trying to make them simple, easy for people to understand and flip it on its head. So they can see themselves in it. And particularly when you think about um, black and brown communities, insurance has been something that, yeah, you kind of know you need to have it, but you don't have that same level of like, I can actually leverage this to build and protect wealth. And so we're trying to teach people that they can and that it is a tool and how they can use it and how others have used it and help them see stories um, of people who look like them and have culturally relevant content out there that really helps people connect with what these insurance tools are and how they can use them. And so the idea of what if is that's kind of how the name was born. If you think about insurance, it's fundamentally about the what if, what if I die? What if I have an accident? You know, so we're really taking that and saying, well, what if you could change the economics of your family in one generation, which you can. 
That's phenomenal. I remember content marketing world. And so I, I saw you speak there and the passion and the belief uh, behind what you are doing was palpable and absolutely infectious. It was, um, it was, it was, it was amazing. I walked away from that conversation at the end of the, the executive forum, just like, oh my gosh, like that's, that's a story to tell. That is, that is phenomenal. And, and for you to have had such a clear path from, I, and I gotta be honest, I've never heard anybody say they love reading insurance policies. <laughs> so that's a first for me. Um, <laughs> coverage lawyers, coverage, only coverage lawyers enjoy that. <laughs> well, you know what? You clearly found your groove. So I, that is, you know, to be able to have followed a passion through your education, through your interests and fulfill it with your, with your soul passion is, I mean, there's not many of us who get to say that. So um, kudos to you. But we're going to dig more into that. Okay. Um, as my audience knows, and as you may know, I always ask, start with first four questions. So if you're ready to get going with that, we will, we'll do that. All right. Well, I am very curious about this one now. What was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? Oh, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah, I knew that. Right from the um, get-go. My parents were always like, oh, you should be a lawyer. You like to argue. I saw lawyers on TV. Um, and I really thought I wanted to be a constitutional lawyer, which is not really, there's no, no one's really a constitutional lawyer, right? Like that doesn't really actually exist. But in my naive mind, I was like, I'm going to be a constitutional lawyer, which really translates to, I really wanted to help people, right? Like that was really kind of what my focus was. How do I use the law and make sure people and kind of the constitution was the source of all these rights and and privileges that we we are entitled to and make sure that we are protecting folks and so um ever since i was young yeah i knew i knew i wanted to be i wanted to be a lawyer so it was nice having that clarity of of purpose who is the first big influencer on your life that you remember so i you know my first or i say she was my kindergarten and my first grade teacher um, okay. And her name was Mrs. Roach, um, which as a kid is like a funny name because that's weird. Um, and I remember um, going to her class for the first time. It was a, like a small Presbyterian private school that my mom put me in not far from our home. And I remember I go to go to class, go to school and at the kids who were there had probably been there. I think I was going in first grade. And so most of the kids had been there for kindergarten, so they, they all kind of knew each other. And this was back when corporal punishment was still a thing, right? So I go in and there's this kid who's in trouble and he's getting in trouble in front of the whole class. And I like break down in tears. I come home. I am like crying. My mother is trying to figure out what happened. She's like convinced that the teacher must have hit me. And so my mother, who was pregnant at the time with my brother, like eight months pregnant, stumbles her way up to the school and is like gonna like have at it with this teacher and the teacher miss roach just kind of let my mom do her thing and then she says miss miss kate I, I i didn't touch lucretia like i don't know what's going on and so then my mother kind of realizes what's going on that i sort of was was observing but it started this relationship between me and my mom and my teacher and she just took a tremendous interest in me and I remember her, she would take me home from school, but it was really the kind of the first time I got a chance to see um, her, her daughter was a news reporter in like New York City or Washington, just like somewhere. And so being able to see like 
people who left Atlanta, who left Georgia, who went off somewhere and really kind of had these um, dynamic kind of professional careers. And I just remember Miss Roach was an influence in my life. I mean, she she tutored me when I was in high school. She taught my brothers who were six years younger than me. She was very connected to our family. Um, she passed away when I was in high school. And uh, I just, her influence on me and just um, being able to unearth in me, like help me move through my fears and help me kind of sit in who I was. And one of my favorite stories to tell about her is when I was, I was in, I was in first grade. It was later in the year from that, that first story I just told. And we had just come back from like a winter break. And so, you know, how they put kids in different groups. So you got group A, group B, group C. Well, I was smart enough to figure out that the group A kids were doing the really advanced work. The group B kids were doing the average work and the group C kids were doing the below average work. Well, I was in group B and I did not like that. Like I was like, I want to be in group A. So we come back from this break and she's like, oh, I can't remember who's in which groups. And so she's like, okay, who's in group A? And I'm like, this is my chance. And I raised my hand and Miss Roach knew I was not in group A. Like she knew it, but I raised my hand. She did not say anything to me. She put me in group A and I always like to say I've been in group A ever since. So absolutely. I love that. That is, um, that takes some chutzpah and in first grade, that is, so, I mean, clearly you have been the disruptor and the advocate, not only for others, but yourself, which is an incredibly powerful thing to learn at an early age. I never like being put in a box. So don't tell me I'm in B because I'm gonna I'm gonna be an A. That's right. Nobody puts Lucretia in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, is there a song that epitomizes your career path or one that you're you're connecting with of late? So it's funny. Um earlier this week I we have a big launch coming up and so we're we were in our pre-launch activities and so it's one of those moments where it's like, oh my God, like when I hit this button, like this thing that I've been working to build for like 11 months, like it's finally coming to fruition. And I'm like, when I press this button, I'm, 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 I'm nervous. So my, my 23 year old daughter is in my office and she's like, mom, you can do it. Like, don't be scared. You can do it. And I'm like, I need to, I need to get, I need to get crunk. Like, what are we going to get? So I'm like, I need Beyonce and Megan. So Beyonce and Megan song, Savage, the remix of Savage. That's my jam. Like that's what we put on and I'm like, okay, yes. Cause, cause you know, I, I love it how they say, um, you know, I'm classy, but I'm ratchet at the same time. Yeah. That's me. All right. I like that. What would be three words that describe your career? Yeah, I would say uh, one of my important words is disrupt. Um, and so that is both for my career, for me, but dis- disrupt is a really important word. Um, I would say um, unconventional, um, you know, not down a straight path. Like I tend to go forwards, backwards, to the right, to the left, not in the traditional ways that folks tend to think that one who went to law school would. Um and then I would say, you know, I, I'm fun. Like, I like to have a good time, right? Like, I like um, to bring joy and, and laugh and have a good time. And my, my way of working is, is tied to, 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 to happiness and bringing people joy. 
I like that. You know, I've been asking, this is, I, I've, I've flipped the questions around a little bit and this is a, this is a newer one for, for this year, uh, season two of my show. And you're the first person to bring up something like fun um, as one of the three words. And I think it's so important. We all work really, really hard. Like I mentioned earlier, you're coming up on, on the first year anniversary um, of this fantastic new business. That's something that you've been clearly building in your head um, in, <laughs> in your mind for most of your career, I would suspect. Yep. And um, in making sure that there's still time for fun, that there's still time for joy and laughter. And of course, what you're doing is, is bringing the ability for people to have fun and have joy in their life because they are becoming financially um, comfortable and, and building wealth and whatnot. Not that money makes people happy, but there's that settling when you have, when you know that you're, you're secure financially. So uh, I think that that's great. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> you know, I, I, as I said in the intro, you went from being a lawyer to moving into sort of bigger business, insurance business to, you know, the very natural segue from being a lawyer to marketing of course, because, you know, everybody does that. It actually is, though, Kathy. I always say to people, like, I'm like, it's actually really interesting to me. I think lawyering and marketing are very similar. It's all about getting people to do what you want them to do. Right? Ah, okay. Do it, what, being persuasive marketers. It's about using marketing techniques to get people to do what you want them to do. I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. What's your career been, your journey been like? You, so, you know, like I said, I said, I pretty sure it sounds like you've had this path in your head um timeline maybe a little more variable than things but knowing where you wanted to get to so how has that journey been like what's it looked like for you and um some of the things that have really you know brought you to to where you are today so it's funny when when you were talking earlier about kind of the getting to a place of of getting in my groove right getting in my finding my jam i will say that up until my stint at Morehouse, where I really stepped out of lawyer role and into something broader, I was, I knew I was out of sync with what I was supposed to be doing. So even as a, a young lawyer, um, a new lawyer in a big law firm in Atlanta, I always yearned for something more, right? Like I wanted to do more than just write briefs and argue cases and do discovery and, you know, answer, take depositions. Like I, even with them, with my clients, I wanted to understand how did their businesses run? What were the economics? How did the, what were the people? What was the culture like? And so I always felt that I needed to touch more. Um, sometimes that created issues for me because I was getting in stuff I had no business having my hands in. Um, but that's kind of what has brought me to where I am. And so because I have a big view of the world, um, I would tend to be in that lawyer role, but suddenly the business person is looking at me and saying like, wait a minute, like you're asking questions that don't have anything to do with the law. Right. And so, um, you know, it's, it, I got, once I sort of got to Morehouse where I was the, I was, I went in as a lawyer, I came out as the, I was the lawyer, I was the chief of staff and I was the chief compliance officer. That's where I really kind of explored my leadership capabilities, my executive leadership ability, right? Like my ability to take some, something from nothing and turn it into a new initiative, a new campaign, a new 
department, like whatever it was, like I could take nothing and turn it into something. And then really kind of once I took that experience and went into the corporate environment, um, I've always kind of had that disruptive approach. Um, I've been often hired in various roles because there are people there who recognize we need some disruption, but there's always the people that didn't get the memo. So that's, <laughs> always, that's always been a challenge, right? And it's hard for me because I, I take a lot of that personally. Um, I don't want to be perceived as a bull in a china shop ever. Um, I do have a very conscious awareness of like being seen as the angry black woman. Um, and so I am, that's probably been the hardest part sort of navigating the the disruption. And so I tend to be a person that when I go into an environment and someone's like, okay, we need some disruption. And I'm like, okay, you need to tell me how long do you have? Because six months and three years look very different. Three years is, is over time, we're building relationships, we're resetting expectations, we're helping people kind of embrace this and get used to it. Six months is bull in a china shop, right? So you got to figure out kind of where you want. And then with that comes a certain amount of of intensity of disruption. Um, so it's been, you know, tremendously rewarding for me. Um, I've been fortunate to be um, given the opportunity to really kind of be comfortable in knowing what I do. So I tell people like, if you want the status quo, I am not your girl. I don't do status quo. So <laughs> that's what you're trying to do is just maintain. I'm not your girl. If you want to disrupt some stuff and you want to move forward, sign me up. Yeah, status quo. Um, yeah, I'm not very good with that either, which is one of the reasons why I love my job, right? So, you know, that's what we do. We go in and we we shake up um, content and, and marketing organizations so that they can do more and do better and, and do exactly what you said about getting pe- other people to do what they want them to do, just, you know, better, faster, stronger kind of thing. So I, um, I feel akin <laughs> to the whole, you know, bull in a china shop kind of, kind of thing. And was there a defining moment? I mean, I get the sense that you had a clear sense of who you were very early on. I mean, your story with uh, Mrs. Roach, which, yeah, as a kid, I'm sure she, every year it would be like, okay, get over with the giggles. Um, <laughs> you know, I can, I can picture that scenario. But was there, was there a moment, or I'm sure you've had many, that a defining moment decision, something that really significantly impacted the trajectory of your career and really anchored you on this path? Absolutely. 100%. It was my time at Morehouse College. Um, I it was my first in-house role. So I transitioned from private practice into my first kind of in-house role. I, like I said, I went in as a lawyer and I, I, I kind of knew I wanted to go into education, but I wasn't at all thinking about going to Morehouse. Morehouse is a historically black college here in Atlanta. It's for, it's a male, all male school. Um, and I remember um, they were a client of mine in private practice. And someone said to me, oh, you know, they're looking for a general counsel. I'm like, there's no way I'm going over there. Like, I'm not doing that. Right. (laughs) And so I was like, you know, sort of my kind of historical view of of Black colleges that they're under-resourced, right? They're kind of stuck in the past. Like, I was like, I don't have time to deal with like that level of, of crazy. So I'm not doing that. And then I started doing some research and I saw they had just hired a new president, um, what he was talking about, what he was trying to do. And I'm like, you know what? 
he's talking about disruption. That's my thing. Like, maybe I should take a look at this. So interviewed, very, probably the most intense interview process I've ever had. Get the job, get in there. And really, there's there that was a defining moment for me because I had always been the only in virtually every environment. Since I was a young kid, I had was, you know, I was in, I was bused um, to school here in Georgia um, from where, you know, I was the minority. So I I lived in a black neighborhood, but I was bused to go to school in a white neighborhood as part of a a busing desegregation program. Um, So I'd always been the only from, you know, most of my career. And even when I was in high school, I actually went to a performing arts high school, which was near my home. So I wasn't the minority, but I was in a performing arts program. And certainly in my higher level AP classes, I was like one of the only, there might be two or three of us in that class. College, very similar. Law school, the same. There were like, I think there were nine black students in my law school class out of 200. We were all still very close. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I've always been the only in law firm life, all that. And, but yet I've always thrived. And so you don't even realize that how hard and challenging it is when you're able to still thrive in those environments. I had always still been at the top of the class, right? In the top of whatever the, the law firm class was. And so when I went to Morehouse, I, I realized probably a year or two into it, like, wow, like I don't have to negotiate being black every day that I come to work. And that was empowering and freeing for me in a way I didn't even know I needed. Cause I thought I was doing just fine in all these other environments, but I didn't have to negotiate my blackness every day. And so what did it do? It literally unleashed me, right? Like before I knew it, I was, I was being asked to do things that had nothing to do with the law, right? Like I recruited virtually the president's entire, I was, I was like leading the HR function, right? Like recruiting all the executives. And the next thing I knew, he's like, well, why don't you be my chief of staff? And I'm like, what? Um, which was, you know, an amazing experience, but I really kind of got to unleash myself in that moment. And that, when I left there, I had a very um, sense of awareness of like, wow, that just gave me a level of freedom because I was able to form in an, in an executive environment without having to deal with my blackness. And so going into the next job, I knew I knew who I was. I knew what I did. I knew what I don't do. And I knew that this job needed me. I didn't need them. So that I walk into it with a, with a level of freedom. And I've continued to take that, that forward with me. And I like to say it's part of why HBCUs are so important because of what I went through as a, I was in my thirties at the time, but that's what students get. They get to go and learn in an educational environment where they don't have to negotiate their race every day. And it's tremendously empowering. And so I keep encouraging folks that folks who are trying to solve some of these diversity and inclusion and empowerment challenges, like if you can create an environment where people don't have to negotiate, you know, their otherness, it, um, it's very empowering. I love the way you say that. Uh, it's, it's something that we're many of us, I won't say everybody, because clearly not everybody were working really hard to be aware and encompass it in what we do and not take things for granted or assumptions. And I, the, I can just, I can just imagine that, that year into your Morehouse where you sat back and went, that's the difference. 
like that that light bulb moment where you know something's ruminating in the back of your head going there's something different here i'm loving my job i'm doing great you know but what is it that's making the difference because you had been doing all of those things in your previous Mm -hmm. uh, engagements and gigs as well. And, it, and identifying that, that, that opened the door and unleashed you. And you were able to take that forward when you left Morehouse is, uh, is a testament, not only to the, the people you worked with, because obviously they embraced that as well, but to you and your strength. Um, so yeah, yeah, as I said, your daughters, I can't imagine them being anything but <laughs> kick-ass with, with you as their I, mom. I wrote an article about it. Um, because there's this, they call it the, they call the, um, the Morehouse mystique, right? Which no one, people are like, oh, you can't really say, describe what it is. You can't really identify what it is. But I was like, I figured out what it is. Like it's, it's this space where you get to, you get to form without having to negotiate that. But yeah, I wrote a great, I wrote a short, during COVID, um, right after all the George Floyd stuff happened, I had so many people reaching out to me. Oh, you know, I really want to understand. And I was like, this article had been sitting inside of me waiting to be birthed. And I was yeah. like, it's time. And I sat down and I wrote it and I, I I pushed it out there because I wanted people to understand like this is this is what this is what it means to be black and particularly to be black in corporate America, what what it's like. So absolutely. I, if you could send me a link to that, I will include it in the show notes. That would absolutely. be okay. sure would be great. Awesome. All right. So your current role, uh, your own business, CEO, president, um, IT tech support, uh, <laughs> HR, admin, ops, uh, payroll, social media, social media oh, mm-hmm. legal, maybe you have somebody else doing your legal, hopefully. <laughs> nope, no, I do it. <laughs> okay. Um, what's it like for you? Get it, what makes you want to get up in the morning? What are some of the challenges and maybe some of the new compromises that you're having to make now that this is this is your show. This is the Lucretia Kate show that's going on. So it's interesting. I, um, up until this, well, my gig before this and, and now this gig, but they all kind of blend together because they're, they're very much related. I was always a number two. And so getting over the psychology of like, I'm not a number two, I'm a number one was an important first step for me. Um, and I've, I've, I've worked through that. Um, I will say the other part is, uh, so I, I do, I, I do do a lot, but I do have a team of people who, who help me and who, who work in the company and, um, which is exciting. Um, but I like to be, um, in a, together, right? Like I thrive off other people's energy. I'm a person that thought like, I never even really had a home office. Cause I'm like, I don't want to work at home. So this whole working remotely in a home environment, having to figure out how to collaborate, online has been, you know, one of the, one of the challenges, but just last night I had my big kind of investor advisor briefing. Um, uh, Cause we've been fortunate to have, you know, many angel investors invest in us who wrote checks when we, all there was, was an idea, right? It wasn't, there was no infrastructure, there was no anything. Um, and so just kind of bringing them up to speed and it was, you know, just sitting back and able to listen um and reflect on the fact that, you know, I'm building something from scratch <laughs> that has the potential to scale. I'm not just building like a million dollar business. I'm building a billion dollar business. And so the um, gravity of that is really in, enlivens me because that's what I've always 
always known I had inside of me. And so um, it's funny, I've, I've been at a crossroad before where it's like, hey, do I go start a company or do I go get this job? And I've, I'd always went down the job path because it just wasn't the right time. And so when this moment came, it's the, it's the right time. And you can tell because all the things, I always say the universe, you know, when things start to come together, all things work together like they're supposed to. So it's been amazing. I mean, we actually snagged, you know, our first part of our recipe for how do you um, reach multicultural communities on a topic like insurance that's boring and nobody wants to talk about um, is you kind of have to bring them education and teach them, right? You have to give them a engaging experience, typically in a digital platform, and then you have to give them access, access to product. The piece we add on the front is around an influencer because insurance is something people don't want to talk about. But if you can get an influencer telling them that it's important and they should talk about it, they're more likely to do so. So our first influencer that we snagged is, is Deion Sanders, who's, you know, his cultural relevance um, has exploded in the last 12 months. Um, and like, we're just, you know, I'm just grateful. Like, and he literally fell into my lap. Like literally, like he was wanting to do more and he found me. And so it's, it's, and, and it's just been an amazing partnership um, to kind of um, learn from him and, and watch him. And, and he inspires me every time we, every time we talk. So it's, 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 it's been an awesome journey in 11, 11 months. It's been hard. I will say that though, Kathy, this is by far the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've done some hard shit. Oh, I, I don't know if I can cuss on your show. You absolutely can. You can drop whatever word you'd like. <laughs> I've done some hard shit in my life. And this is the hardest for sure. Is it the, so the hardest and the most invigorating, the most jazz, the, like, are you just chomping at the bit when you get up in the morning just to get going? That's got to be something to manage. I'm not going to lie. Nope. Not every morning. Some mornings I'm like, I just want to stay in this bed. Mainly it's because I, I, it's fear of facing what I know is about to happen, whether it's, you know, we, we got cash flow problems. I got, you know, some problem with getting the launch kind of over the line, like whatever it is. So, I mean, I would say every day I, I'm more than not really energetic and excited about what's to come. And I still get nervous. Like I had this big meeting yesterday and like my nerves were a little, but like at the end of it, I was like really excited. Um, and, um, but you know, it's kind of up and down, but when I say it's hard, it's hard in that, um, it requires, um, like all of my brain power, but it's the psychology and the emotional pieces of it that are probably the hardest. Right. And, this is common for founders, um, and especially for for me. I'm a I'm a first time founder. I'm I'm a black founder, and I'm trying to build a company that has scale in ways that aren't typical for 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 folks in my world, right? And so the psychology of that I have to manage really carefully. I always have a coach, about two or three at any various given time, who help me navigate those pieces. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's a hard thing to do. You're trying to bring along, um, 
you know, a team of people in a, in a vision that you've created and that you've set, you have to keep kind of keep that vision fresh. You've got to raise capital. So you've got to get investors bought into that vision. You've got to continue to be very mindful and careful of how you're, you're spending and navigating because these people have placed their trust in you. Um, we're creating something that doesn't exist. Um, so we're having to be creative. So, I mean, I'm literally constantly moving from my, you know, legal brain to my, accounting brain to my creative brain like in the same 20 minutes and so it's just it's hard but it's it's exciting and this is the moment for me to do this in my life because of course I decided to do this and you know life didn't care that I was starting a business right so you know we've I've continued to have things happen in my life I'm a mom I have a 15 year old um, and a 23 year old um, and so, you know, my parents are are aging and um, it's just, you know, things happen. So it's it's sort of the combination of of the actual lift of creating a company with scale, um, as well as where I am in my life of sort of being in that sandwich is uh, is making it a challenge. But if you can tell anything about me, that's when I thrive. Clearly. Yeah. And it's, you can hear the passion, even when you're talking about how hard it is. And thank you so much for the honesty of, no, there are days where you don't want to get out of bed, where you'd rather just, you know, snuggle up with the comforter and, you know, read a book. I'm like, you know what? I'm just about to watch Downton Abbey all day. (laughs) Oh, don't Abbey. See something else, something else we agree on. (laughs) I'm a total Anglophile. Complete and total anglophile. Love it all. Well, we, we, you know what? We'll we'll have another conversation on this whole Megan Harry spare. It's, oi, <laughs> that's a whole other kettle of fish. I'm I'm very happy. My my extended family is all from from uh, from England, so my grandparents are absolutely rolling in their graves right now with everything oh, that's sure. going on. They would just, my great aunt, it would be just beside herself. So. Mm-hmm enough said about that. So this has been fantastic. There's so much I've taken away from this, but for our listeners, particularly the women in our audience, what would be your best piece of advice, life, career, success, anything you'd like to share? You know, I would say the whole concept of work-life balance, don't get caught up. (laughs) That's a fallacy. doesn't exist, right? I always say I'm either being a really great mom and a really bad lawyer or I'm being a really great lawyer and a bad mom. Like they're, and they're, they're sort of this, this teetering balance that is never really actually balanced. And I think if we can cut ourselves some slack that that's okay and kind of move through our life and whether that's, whether you're a mom or whether you're not a mom and, you know, but as women, we tend to be those nurturers who take care of our families, our communities, our churches, you know, our, our organizations. And so being able to accept that I am not going to be at a hundred percent in everything at all times. Um, and then also remembering to make those deposits that you need um, is really going to help fuel you as a whole person. Um, for me, my career and, and, and who I am are, are one in the same. Um, and so for purposes of, of, being able to continue to move forward, to have the deepest and the widest impact, 
making sure I get deposits. I always tell my kids, you can't keep making withdrawals if you ain't making no deposits. That's when checks start to bounce. <laughs> so you ain't making no deposits, no deposits. You can't take can't, can't take them out, out the tank. So just continue to always um, try to make those deposits, but also cut yourself some slack that you don't have to have everything in balance. It's probably not going to happen. Balance, that is such a big word and something that we all, I think most people struggle with. Although I just finished reading the, um, was it the four hour work week? Mm -hmm. By Tim Ferriss. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Kudos to all those who can actually do that because I was like, what? Right. Yeah. So there were some nuggets. There's always nuggets. You can always yep. find something, right? But yeah, I'm I I haven't found that four day four hour work week. If you Either. do, please let me know. No, yeah. Um. So this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Where can our audience find you? Are you have you got speaking events? You talking about the launch of a new site? Where where can people connect with you? Absolutely. So um, you can check out the what hyphen if collective dot com. That's our website um, where our, we talk about kind of what we're doing and what we're up to. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, so Lucretia Cade um, on LinkedIn, feel free to reach out and connect. I love um, connecting with people there and following their journeys and seeing what they're, what they're up to. I am on Instagram trying to figure that one out a little bit more. Um, it's imagine underscore what if for obvious reasons. Um, we're all about that imagination piece. Um, and then I do, I have a few, I speak all over different places. Um, I do a lot kind of in the insurance industry and around the journey of women. Um, so if you follow me on LinkedIn, I usually post about my upcoming speaking events and um, would love, yeah, to connect with your listeners and and hear more about, you know, their journeys and, and if you know, things I say that are like, they're like, that's a bunch of crock, Lucretia. Like, I, I love having those debates um, and conversations. So, yeah, I appreciate you having me, Kathy, um, and having this conversation and even helping to kind of help me frame up some things that I hadn't really been thinking about in terms of my journey. And so thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you so much, um, especially because I appreciate starting up a new business all of the balls you have in the air and the fact that you freeze frame them for this, you know, hour or so to, to have this conversation. I really appreciate it. And I do hope you find some fun this weekend, something fun to do. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for our conversation to my audience. Thanks for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lucretia and learning how embracing opportunities that are aligned with your personal mission can leave deep and lasting impacts on the world and fuel growth and transformation and still have some fun along the way. If you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, you can always head over to unchartedjourneys.net, check out some of the other episodes, sign up for the email list, and um, look at the show notes to get those details on the article and where you can find Lucretia. Thank you again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. Oh,